Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining tonight's episode of Life on Pause. Uh, I'm excited for tonight's discussion. We have a bit of a different setup than normal. So we have a, a great panel for tonight's discussion, which is titled 20 Years Later, in which young adults who were impacted by cancer share what their life has been like in the 20 years since treatment. So to get us started, for those of you on the panel, could you all do a brief introduction of yourself and share your quote-unquote cancer story? Hi, everyone. My name is Kelly Fraunfelter. I am a 22-year osteogenic sarcoma survivor. I will be 23 years in August. My sarcoma was in my spine, and they found it when I was 20 years old. So I went through treatment till I was about a little over a year. And then there was a whole lot of, of physical therapy and everything afterwards. But I'm married now. Um, we have no kids, but we have two dogs and they are our kids. So <laughs> nice to meet everybody and see everybody. I'm Julie. And I guess 19 years ago is when I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And I was a senior in college and my treatment lasted for a portion of my senior year and then the summer before starting a new job and the next phase of life. So it was it was only about four or five months and included surgery and radioactive iodine treatment and was pretty self-contained in those those months. And so that's 19 years ago this spring. And now I have three children and part of my story that I'm, I'm sure will come up tonight as well is my daughter who is nine is also a cancer survivor. So she was diagnosed with leukemia when she was about three years old. So that certainly has shaped my viewpoint over the past several years as well. My name is Melissa and I am actually here on my husband's behalf, Chris. He actually, we had a lot of discussion about Casey's questions, which were great. So I'm going to try to share his story from his viewpoint. But he was diagnosed with uh, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was six years old. He was misdiagnosed for years. They thought it was just dental abscesses. Um, so he underwent chemo and radiation and surgery, and he's been off treatment and cured for many years. But part of our journey together is we have two adopted children. And I am also a nurse specialist for Four Diamonds. Thank you all. Well, certainly a wide, wide range of experiences. So, so I appreciate you all sharing that. I, I guess my, my first question for you is, is a broad one. And um, it is how has cancer impacted your life in the 20 years since? When you were finishing treatment, did you have expectations as to what impact it would have in your life going forward? And has it had more of an impact than you expected, less of an impact than you've expected? Um, what what has your experience been since finishing treatment? Casey, when Chris was talking about this, one of the things that he wanted me to touch on was when he was younger, he was the young cancer kid going through treatment. And he kind of was in a school where they just kind of pushed him through schooling. 
And so he felt like by the time he got to high school age, he had been pushed through school. And um, at that point, there was no extra. We didn't know anything about spinal taps and, and the effects they have on learning. And he really struggled through school. And that was something that was really hard for him. So he went from being like the bald cancer kid to being in high school where he did not want anyone to know anything about his history to then realizing by the time he was a senior in high school that he really was left behind. And that kind of really impacted him where mentally he didn't want to address it, but he knew deep downside that there were things that he wishes he were addressed when he was younger that actually did affect like his decisions later in life and prep for college and things like that. So for me, I was, um, I had finished one year of college and I was starting my second one when I found out. So I went, I went through all of that. And actually it was back in the time when you could only be on your parents' insurance till you were 22. And so I was hitting that age where I needed a job, I needed insurance. So while I tried to go back to school after I was done with treatment, two months into my return to college, my hardware broke in my back and I had to have another surgery. And so by that time, I was really behind the eight ball. I, you know, I somehow got my foot in at uh, the Hershey Medical Center because they give you insurance like from the day that you start. And honestly, once I was in there with everything else that was going on, I never, I never went back to school. I probably had the opportunity if I really wanted to, but I just kept working and working and working my way up. So it definitely impacted me that way. I never, you know, really got to finish the schooling that I was, was going for. So, you know, and it also impacted me as far as kids. They say sometimes that you might not, it might make you sterile and you never know what the chemo treatments. Mine were very, very invasive. I mean, I was only a stage two, but all of my treatments were inpatient and, you know, weeks long. And so as it turned out, after I got married, we did try to have kids and we couldn't. So, I mean, there's another impact, but I have a lot of nieces and a lot of nephews who love me very, very much. <laughs> I have two nephews who call me their man. So technically I'm like a mom aunt to them. And um, like I said, my dogs are my babies too, but and it always impacts you in ways you don't, you don't even think about every day. For me, there's chronic pain issues. And so, you know, I just deal with that. Luckily, my work is very, very flexible with it. They know. They didn't know in the beginning. I didn't. I don't think I shared that until a couple months in, but it does. And I think most of the people in the office know now. For me, over the 20-year period, I've definitely seen things shift and change in how cancer has affected my life. After I completed my treatment and then started a new job where no one knew me, I had the desire to not have that define me and not really want to share. But there was that uneasiness of this is a big deal to me, but I didn't want to be defined by that. So for a while, it was sort of pushed to the side and not something that was prominent in my life besides the, the follow-ups and checkups that I had personally. And then as years went on, I think I went through a period where it, it was important for me to, to share as I be, you know, became closer with people or had different relationships. 
And then I had other people in my life that were impacted by cancer. It's strange that I was, when I look at my kind of immediate family, I was one of the first one. And then my father was diagnosed and then my aunt and then my daughter and then my mother and then my father-in-law. And so this becomes this whole big, it's everywhere all around me that raises a whole lot of other questions of why is there so much cancer and all different types. It wasn't something that was genetic or related, but over the 20 years, it's definitely been a bit of a, a roller coaster ride of how prominent a part of my life it was, and then the people around me, and then well, where does that leave me as far as what can I do to help make a difference in this terrible disease? So it's things are shifting and changing, and I think probably always will. It's part of life. Yeah, thank you all for sharing. Lots of great insights. And Melissa and, and Kelly, I appreciate you sharing about school specifically. I was at a point and when I was diagnosed right, you know, the week I was finishing college. So I didn't have to deal with that. But from what I've heard of dealing with school throughout treatment, it can feel very secondary, but the long-term impacts are, are obviously significant. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And then Julie, um, you know, really, really transitioned to where we were headed next. And, and that's kind of, you know, going through the stages of life. One of the great things about being a 20-year survivor can be that, you meet a lot of people that might not know that about you or might not have been around for that part of your life. So Julie, I know you've mentioned that you went through different stages of, of how you've handled it, but in general, what, what's your strategy been for, for telling people and how have you handled that also in the context of romantic relationships? Well, actually address that part of the question first. I was, my husband was actually, we were newly dating when I went through all this. So I would honestly say that those months that were so tough really solidified our relationship and made it so much stronger that he was there with me through all the unknowns and waiting nervously for phone calls and through the treatments. So there was no need to share that with him or go through the experience of when it's okay to tell my story to someone from a relationship that was really a defining or an important part in our relationship moving forward. As far as talking to other people, I I think for me, I would take the approach of being cautious at first and not immediately sharing everyone with someone that I've just met, but wait until there was a point in the relationship where it almost felt like natural or like I was hiding something if I didn't bring it up. For example, with my first job at work, I didn't mention anything for a while and I didn't want it to define me. I didn't want those like tilted head. Oh, you've been through so much kind of moments. But then probably about a year after I was at that job, uh, I think there was a, a Relay for Life event and it was right around my one year anniversary of diagnosis. And this is something that's really important to me to be a part of this and seemed like a natural point to bring it up. And so that felt safe to me and felt right. And I think with other relationships, as I've been, you know, switched jobs and and had different new friends come into your life, it's something that isn't a right away. But when that moment is right, I think you know, but it's it, it was still always like a nervous feeling to share something that is a big part of, of my past. This is something, Casey, that Chris also really focused on. So 
after he realized he struggled um, with school, he um, fought for multiple years and he was finally able to get accepted into the Navy. And that was his big moment where he got into the Navy and he had passed the test after how many times trying. And he just felt like, oh my goodness, okay, this is what I wanted to do. This is what my dad did. Like, this is great. But then once he got in, like he didn't tell people about his cancer diagnosis. He didn't tell people how long, you know, he was older than a lot of people like entering in his age were. But then I think it was his third year in, he learned that he had an opportunity um, to go back to Camp Kendu, which is, you know, it's a camp for kids that, you know, have cancer that can go. So he had an opportunity to go back and he was desperately wanting to be a part of that program. And in that program, he felt like that was his opportunity to give back to kids that maybe he didn't, weren't, wasn't able to connect with earlier. So he finally found that piece of things. And then interesting enough, that's actually how we met. I was there as a nurse and he was there as a counselor. And we kind of met and our relationship went from there. And actually, he did not tell me his story until after we met in Washington, D.C. to have our first date after camp was over. Like I knew he had had cancer, but he didn't tell me any of the details. He didn't really share any of that um, until we started dating. And then actually I'd been a nurse and I'm like, okay, I take care of kids with cancer. Like I looked at his treatment plan, which was funny because it's all written out in paper by Denise and Dr. Unger. And it was written in hand that I'm like, okay, that drug, that drug, you know, I'm looking at all of it. But honestly, there was a survivorship conference that was Soon after we got married, and it's interesting because I worked with survivorship clinic after we were married and just what, and this is, I think um, somebody touched on this, like what you see on paper that says, oh, this should cause fertility or this should not issues anytime, like that just goes to the wayside because you just don't know. Because if I looked at everything that was on a piece of paper that he had received and same with him. We would have never thought that infertility was going to be something that we went through together. And we actually tried to get pregnant pretty soon after we got married and tried for about two and a half years until we actually found out what the problem was. And that was a very hard time for Chris because he beat himself up terribly about that. And even though like we had a very strong marriage and everything, it really, really weighed on him when we actually saw the black and white paper that that this is what we were dealing with. So I feel like he kind of got away from, you know, like pushing it out of his life and realized that there were ways to give back. So I think that um, it doesn't mold who he was, but it definitely impacts, you know, his relationships with everybody that he comes across. So for me, because I was in college when I was done, I just, I did just want to push it away. Like I didn't want it. I was just like, I'm done with that. I did it. It was hard. And now I just want to get back to my normal life and my normal friends and normal people. That can only happen for so long because then, you know, something comes up. And for me, telling people, as far as that goes, I'm kind of, I'm kind of screwed because I have this gigantic scar on my forehead and people are always asking me, what is the scar from? <laughs> and then I have to tell them that I had this like massive two day surgery and I was on my forehead for. Uh, 13 hours the one day and um, it was a, a pressure ulcer that healed down into those things so it kind of screams at everybody it's like right there and everybody could see it 
So I kind of don't have an option. I feel like I just, I mean, there's no point in me hiding it. You know, people want to know. And as far as uh, relationships go, I mean, when I was dating, I didn't tell a lot of the people that I was dating about it. I did tell Dave, who's my husband now, I think it was probably about uh, six months into the relationship because I didn't want to. For me, I knew infertility was a very, very large option. And I needed to make sure that you're with someone who you were going to be with. Like, I don't want to just tell that to everybody. But I think once after I realized that we were going to be together and even going to be intimate, like I had to tell him before because I seriously have, I have two scars on my back and one is foot and a half and the other one's about a foot. And I have port scars and I've had scars. So, you know, I really needed to just tell him before he saw that and freaked out because some people would. Some people don't. Luckily, he did not. He was very like, oh, okay. Like he just, he just rolled with it, which was even better. So I did have to tell him uh, that infertility was probably going to be an issue. And we did try to get pregnant for two years. And then after that, they said, well, you know, we can, we can run tests on you. They're kind of expensive. It's not really covered by your insurance. And, um, you know, but honestly, what we can tell you again, like Melissa said, looking at the piece of paper and looking at what chemo you have, it's most likely because of your chemotherapy. Luckily, he was he was just okay with that. I think because I told him up front, just might not happen for us. He was better about it than I was. I definitely had the biological clock problems where I was like crying at TV commercials, which is just stupid, but. So yeah, that was hard, but he was, it really helps that I had a partner who was really, really understanding and just went with everything. You know, we thought about adoption, that's horribly expensive and neither one of us have jobs that were making like tons of money, moved past it. It took a little time. Um, I beat myself up a lot as well. You know, Dave was always like, you can't beat yourself up. You had to do what you had to do, get back in your life now. So there we go. So Without him, I think it would have been a lot harder. <laughs> well, I, I hope I'm properly summarizing when what I'm hearing is that it's it, you know, your approach to this may be, you know, in terms of telling people it might be situational, it might change, but it sounds like there has not been a lot of success with just outright blocking, trying to block it out. And then in the long run, that just says unfortunately it comes up in one way or another. So so thank you all for for sharing that. And you know, on that note, I know we've been talking a little bit about more some of the emotional and social aspects, but I'm also curious, you know, physically, what what has managing your health been like um, in the last 20 years? And, and what's been your strategy for handling any frustrations or roadblocks that come up? I can certainly share what Chris's exact quote to me was, managing my health after finishing cancer was quite difficult, especially after leaving the pediatric part of the hospital and entering the adult world. He said, um, which I mean, I can see this as well. I do feel that I was much more proactive with the prevention of cancer much before becoming an adult. Everything was much simpler when I was younger. They knew the tests that you needed and the results were faster and sometimes instantaneous or you get them. So 
he said, there's no wait or wondering. So with most adult world, he said, I would have to say, I absolutely have scan anxiety. He said, it's a very real thing. He said, I would rather be on my deathbed than go to the doctor because almost every single time that he goes, he feels like they're going to send him for a scan. Even he's his original tumor, they had to go into his sinuses and into the cheek of his face and his neck. So he has chronic sinus problems and um, eye ducts, like tear duct issues from it. So anytime he gets a sinus infection, he always gets swelling in his face. He knows this, but every single time he goes to the doctor, they scare him that his lymphoma is back. So he very much avoids going. And he said, call me very, very guilty for not doing that. And I know I need to take better proactive care. He said, but it's just really hard every single time I go that they threaten a scan. I definitely feel the same way. And I try to go to the, I do go to the doctor a lot. I'm not as scared to go to the doctor. I'm just scared they're always going to find something. There's always some little piece of me, even 20 years later, that like you feel a lump or a bump somewhere and go, holy cow, like, what is that? And then I get petrified and it's, you know, it's hard. And honestly, for the first couple of years, every time I went back to have my my lung scanned, which is what they scanned to see if it came back. And even a back x-ray, like I would physically get nauseous. So like, I was so anxious. I was nauseous just because I was so afraid of what they were going to say. And, um, you know, physically the first 10 years for me were pretty good after they fixed the, after they fixed the rods and everything, I was good for about, for about 10 years. And then Um, the arthritis started coming in. So I really didn't have a choice, but I work with a very wonderful pain management doctor. He's fabulous and he keeps me functioning and going and I'm not, you know, just sitting somewhere, not in a wheelchair. I can get around and do things. Sometimes I use a walker. It's pretty cool, but um, that's just what comes with it. Yeah. And it's scary every time you have another scare. Like I had a lymph node that was big and they they didn't know why and they sent me to a an ENT and my mom actually went to the appointment with me and when they said about me having a biopsy of my lymph node like I think both of us just start crying in the in the doctor's office and they were like oh my gosh I'm so sorry like but it's just every little thing like I mean luckily it was clear there was nothing going on there but just to have that scare I probably took off work that whole week I think because I was just sick just weaning. Yeah. And you just get that way sometimes. So yeah, anxiety is, however you say it, it's definitely a very real thing. Yeah. Kelly, Kelly, Melissa, to your point, I guess when you've, when you've gone to a doctor and they've told you, you have cancer, you're very aware that that possibility can happen again. So um, the the fear is very real. Julie, would you mind talking about that both from your experience and and for the experience of your daughter as well. Yeah, I I think a lot of my thoughts would echo what, what Kelly and Melissa have said. Where once you're in that room having a, a scan or or blood work, it, my mind immediately goes to the worst possible outcome. It, it, you can't avoid those thoughts. It's scary to think. And when the doctor like steps out of the room or the, you know, technician steps out, oh, the doctor will be in in a few minutes. Like those are the longest minutes in the world waiting for that all clear. Your brain just goes and goes and goes. And 
even 20 years later, that's still still the case. Something that I think Melissa mentioned earlier that triggered a thought also was the navigating my healthcare through my early 20s was also an interesting challenge because since I was the cancer was found with well, the lump was initially found by the campus health center nurse. I didn't even, I wasn't even suspicious. So I think that's also why I'm a little jumpy at doctor's appointments because I had no idea. I had no symptoms, nothing. And the nurse was like, oh, there's a lump in your, in your neck. Maybe you should get that checked out. And so I had bounced around from the university health system to the local hospital where I was in college. And then I had the surgery done in my hometown. And then I started a new job in a different town and had to find a new doctor there. And then a few years later, I moved again and had to be followed there. So that was something that I really had to step up and take that proactive ownership of my health to make sure I was continuing to have the care and the follow-up because no one else was doing that for me. Um, So that's something that is a very different experience to what my daughter has gone through up to this point where she's just been seen in one facility and has a, a kind of a plan laid out for what her follow-ups will, will look like, assuming we're still in the same, same place. That's one thing as the nurse in me as well. I've been doing peace oncology nursing for 23 years now, and I am so excited. Like it makes me sad to hear and to see what Chris and everybody else has gone through. But I'm excited looking at Casey and looking at other people going through treatment, Lydia, and to know that we have a plan now for you. And survivorship guidelines were not, they were not out there for these people in the 80s and 90s that were diagnosed. But now we literally can plug it all in a computer and we take every dose of chemo that everybody gets and we get to put it all into this um, spreadsheet. And it tells us exactly what people need. And I feel like that is going to help people that are going through treatment now and in the past like few years, like years past to know. And then you're going to be able to have that roadmap to take care of the treatment that you need to stay healthy the rest of your life, which I think is really exciting and sad that, you know, that we're just learning about it now, but grateful that we have the information. Yeah, that's awesome. Very exciting. Yes. Yeah, great developments. Great. Well, well, one thing we we also wanted to talk about was in, in terms of life after cancer and life after cancer treatment was, ha- have you felt any outside expectations? Have you felt pressure that you have to now live this extraordinary life? Or have you just wanted to live a normal, quiet life and, and be very happy with that? I, I know that's a, ch- a challenge that some people feel is you know, there's expectations around them. So, so what's your experience been with um, and how have you handled it? I definitely felt that there wasn't a lot out there. Um, when I went through my stuff. So when I was done, it wasn't like I was going to like, now I go to the survivorship thing they have every year and you see all these inspirational people and they're all running and they're all doing really for life thing. And they're doing every single thing that they can to give back. And I felt a little lost. Like I didn't know what to do because I wanted to finish college. I wanted to, you know, then I wanted to do good at my job and I wanted to date and it just, but even in the back of my mind, I was like, why aren't you doing anything with this? Why aren't you doing anything with this? But there was 
you know, I think eventually a time where I just said, I just have to live my life the way it's going. You just kind of roll with the changes and, and everything. And I didn't have to be spectacular. I just have to be alive and love my family, love my husband, you know, my whole family, you know, and just be okay with that. I love my job now. I absolutely love it. So, you know, I just love the people I get to meet and I love my job now. So I think it's a little easier for me now to be okay with that because I'm 44 and I'm not still trying to figure out where I am in life. Because when you're only 22, that's really hard. But I don't think people should feel pressure. Do what you want to do with your life and be happy with it. Yeah, I don't think I felt pressure initially. I I shared before how I initially wanted to sort of keep it um, to myself. And I think part of that may have been some of the comparisons that I don't know if you, you guys might see this as well in the cancer world. I didn't feel like my cancer was bad enough. I had the easiest cancer. Oh, well, this is the most treatable. So of course, I wasn't going to stand up and make a big deal because I wasn't worthy or something. Uh, so I think I had those thoughts playing in my head that well, I'm not going to have this extreme motivation because it's not exciting story. And then when my daughter was diagnosed and when, when other people around me were also di- diagnosed with cancer, I think I found that well, what I went through is still a relatable experience that I can connect with others and have a an empathy and understanding that wouldn't have otherwise been there. And especially with my daughter, I think that redemptive, I want to do something as a, a gratefulness for everything that she's gone through and giving back to Four Diamonds, that probably has come out more in her situation than with my own. And that probably has something to do with that helpless feeling, being a mother, watching someone else versus when I'm processing my my own experiences, it's a different, a different viewpoint and a different type of motivation. Julie, it's interesting how you said about how the different cancer experiences, like my cancer was not X, Y, or Z. And that is something that Chris and I had conversations about a lot. He said he never felt like any reason to need lead any different of an extraordinary life. But I have to say, like when social media and um, even the Thon Where Are You Now videos, like when he first did it, like he felt really proud to say he was in the Navy. And then there was a period of time like he dropped off from all of that because he felt like he did not do the things that everybody else that were cancer survivors and that had worse diagnoses than he did were doing. And then it took him a little while, but he said that he was able to, he said, uh, I'm not going to lie and say it was hard watching those things. He said, but he said, I realized that living my life is different than how other people live their lives. And he said, if I didn't have cancer, I wouldn't have learned what it took to be strong, to fight for what I needed to, um, which was a goal to get in the Navy. And he said, if I didn't have cancer, I wouldn't have met my wife volunteering at one of the best camps in the world. But he said, you know what, for him, it was, I don't feel like I live an extraordinary life, he said, but I live a very 
blessed life. And he said, I thank God all the time um, about all the lessons I've learned, but where I am now. And I try not to surround myself by what I see on social media and compare myself to other people's diagnoses. It's funny to hear both of you say that, honestly, because I probably was one of those people with the really bad diagnoses, like really. So it's interesting to hear that you guys felt that because I felt that way and I was, and I had that bad diagnosis, but like you guys, I wanted to push it away for a while. I mean, I do a very, there's a very small relay for life up in the mountains somewhere. And that's the one I do, but I agree. You have to just kind of be happy with the life that you have a blessed life. Very, very heartwarming. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I think that's that's some, that's like a sentiment that's been echoed by a lot in this group that are a few years out of treatment um, and, you know, dealing with how they want their experience to shape the rest of their life and not necessarily define it, but play a part in it, see what that future holds for them because of that experience. I guess I just have one more question for you before opening it up to the group. And, and that is, if knowing what you know now and having the experiences that you've had over the last 20 years, if, if you could go back and give yourself advice, you know, right when you were finishing treatment, what would you say and, and why? I can share Chris's advice. He said, what I would um, tell myself after treatment was, don't be hard on yourself. Life is tough. Don't stop believing in yourself ever. Don't surround yourself with people that are not good people in life. Surround yourself in life with people that lift you up and not bring you down. And he said, just realize that when life does get hard, it will always keep moving forward. And he said, this advice is something I have to give myself often, he said, because life is a constant growing process. And I look in the past and in the past, I made opposite decisions. Um, and he said, what I realize now is we always, there's always a way up and there's, and just stick with people that always bring you um, up instead of down and do not um, look behind you, but let your past be part of who you are in the future. Yeah, I can't top that. Wow. <laughs> that was beautiful, but absolutely true. Yeah, I'd say when I was going through treatment and what I've heard a lot is that one day at a time mentality, one step at a time. And that makes sense when you're going through treatment and things can change week by week. And I think when treatment ended, that same advice is still applicable that one day at a time, one step at a time, you don't have to have it all figured out how you're going to approach things from here on out, but it still can change. As I look back at how things have changed and shifted over the past 20 years, it's like, oh, that, that makes sense. But I don't know if I gave myself that permission to be uncertain when I first finished treatment. I think I thought, all right, I'm done. This is the path I'm going, but it very much is okay that sometimes you might want to stand up and be an advocate and, and do a lot of things. And other times you might want to be quieter and it may last for years at a time and then things shift again. And that's okay. And probably to be expected. Well, thank you all. That was, that was great advice. Certainly something I will, I'll try my best to listen to. Um, I, I do want to give the chance for the group to ask any questions. If not, I probably have one or more, one or two more for you, but I know I've been doing a lot of the the talking. So does anyone in the audience have have any questions? This can be for panelists and other people that are on the podcast tonight, but what are you looking forward to for the next 20 years? 
okay, to be honest, I'm going to be looking forward to retiring. How old am I, right? So (laughs) in 20 years, hopefully I will be able to be retired and living up in the mountains where I want to, my husband and (laughs) the rest of my family. Yeah, I think I'd be most hopeful for things to just be simple and boring and straightforward. These roller coasters of the unexpected moments and news that you hear are not fun. (laughs) So having, if I could see my next 20 years as being healthy and my kids being healthy and the people around me not have to go through what we've all experienced, that would be my wish. I think our wish as a couple is just for a life full of hope over the next 20 years of good health. And like Julie said, um, a better world for our kids to grow up in and also less side effects and less reason for me to have a job because that means that um, kids that are not getting cancer like they are and that things are in a much better place where I'm not needed anymore. I don't have a science background, but I think one of the coolest things looking forward is, is something Melissa was touching on earlier, just like the advancements. seems like every week they come out with something new, um, some new treatment, or just like they're learning more about the causes of certain cancers. And I just think that's really cool that they keep making progress year after year. I think the like analogy or the way someone phrased it is that there's feels like there's been more breakthroughs in the last five years than there were in the 50 years before that. Um, so just the speed of how much is being learned, I think that's that's really cool. And even though I can't understand most of what I read, uh, it's it's always exciting to see. Great. Does, does anyone have any other any questions they want to ask? I was curious from the young adults listening, what parts of the panelists' experience really caught your attention or resonated or made you sit back and say, oh, yeah. I think for me, hearing about fertility definitely kind of hits me. It's something that I kind of, I try not to think about. And I think someone said like, I think it was Melissa, she said that when you're hearing the chemotherapies you're getting, you're, you hear some of the side effects and you're kind of just like, oh, we'll put fertility, like it's such a small chance it'll actually happen. Like it's going to be fine. But it's something, you know, every time I end up thinking about it and like really thinking about my future, I, I really panic. And it's like, I have to make it sometime, you know, I have to decide, like, do I want to look into it? When do I want to look into how I've been impacted by my treatment? So that was kind of like interesting to listen to how you guys have dealt with it. And then also, I I just like, I really related to what Melissa said, just how like, it's something you put on the back burner because you deal with like all the instant side effects right away. Um, And then it's like, there are still you know, as part of being a survivor forever, there are these looming side effects that you don't even know if they're going to impact you in the future, um, but they still weigh heavy on your shoulders. So yeah, it was interesting to listen to that. I think for me, it was more of when you guys said that not having a cancer that's so dangerous or like that, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's And a lot of the times whenever I was feeling pain, I was like, well, I shouldn't really be that upset because I know people are having way worse side effects than I am. So I had a really hard time accepting my pain until then I was like, you know what, even if it's not such a dangerous 
kind of cancer or things like that, it's still my pain. So it took me a while kind of to accept and say, yeah, I'm not feeling good just because I was scared of what other people might think because I was like, well, my cancer is not that bad. My diagnosis is not that bad. So I kind of like that. I think at the end of the day, we all have a hard time because no matter what, it's cancer. I think something that was very helpful for me to hear is like, I, I feel like I just have this in my head. It's very binary, like a before after kind of moment. And so to hear that there's like stages and things change and things like that might seem obvious, but I just feel like I have this plan in my head as to what I want to do or how I want to handle things. And it's like, well, it's probably going to change and go through all these variations. So it was good to kind of get, I think, get out of that mindset that it's not just a before and after. To me, I found interesting um, was when you guys said, like, you know, when you go to the doctors after, like, getting out of the pediatric, you know, care, it's like now I'm I'm about to be 24 and I'm going to get, you know, new scans and stuff. And since I did move three years ago from my hometown, I have to see a new oncologist. And I've kind of been really nervous about that because it's so different because they don't really know like me, they didn't go with me through my treatment, like my, you know, doctor did in Hershey. And like, just sitting there and having to wait, you know, to get a scan. It's just, I'm just glad that I'm not the only one that kind of feels like I'm just terrified. And like, sometimes I just feel like I don't want to go, but I know I have to. You know, something interesting is that um, when I was done, there was really no plan. I mean, we didn't have a survivorship plan it was just like oh okay now you're done and here you go and even though I had all my treatment at Hershey and my doctors are all at Hershey it's still you know my regular family doctor didn't know what to do and didn't know you know what they needed to do one of the best things I did and I did this probably about three or four years ago and it seemed really weird but I went to the um, survivorship clinic I had heard about it And even though it was in pediatrics, they still saw me because I was 20 when I had my cancer, but they saw me and they walked through everything. And now there's like a plan that I didn't have before. So now every five years, go get an echo because you were on this and we need to make sure your heart is okay. And it's just weird that I didn't have that plan, but now through that little clinic, which is like, what is there, five or six ladies? Like, they just changed my whole plan. And now I feel like I have someone watching my back and they know what they're doing and they know what to look for and things like that. Um, you know, cause there's always certain things that can say, they were like, oh, you had, you know, methotrexate. So maybe now later on, you know, some other health issue might happen. So it's just, I was glad that that opened and I was glad that I went, even though I was so much older, it was, it was a good thing to have. Because now there's a plan that I did not have before. Kelly, I think that's a good message that it's never too late to sort of go back and revisit. So it sounds like for several years, didn't have that follow-up. And, you know, I, I imagine that's something that we can all relate to. Sometimes we sort of, you know, don't exercise or don't eat right for like months and months, years at a time. And it's never too late to then adjust. And that's the same thing with your health and your care and things going forward with following up on your cancer treatment. It's not like, well, I skipped that scan I was supposed to. I guess it's all out the window. No, it's, you can always go back. You can always reach out and do something that can 
help you moving forward. Yeah. Um, if I could just add to like the whole having anxiety when having checkups and scans and stuff like that, I think for me personally, I think it's like a normal thing with, I think it's safe to say with all cancer patients, cancer survivors. I think what I've noticed, what happens in my situation is I get to a point where I'm not thinking about it on a regular basis. You know, I'm going, I feel like I'm back into a regular normal life, you know, so it doesn't come up in my head often until I get, you know, text reminder or something that, you know, I have an appointment coming up and then the gears start spinning and then I'm like, well, what if, what if, you know, and then, or once I'm there, you know, it's like, it all starts to come back. I mean, I think it's natural to kind of uh, have somewhat of an anxiety about it and kind of think of the worst because um, the rest of your life, you're kind of putting it on the back burner and trying to continue on with normal life until you have to go back for some type of scan or checkup. One of the big takeaways I have is just the importance in sharing what happens after treatment. It's very important. We often don't get the chance to share, you know, what happens after treatment long-term down the road. And one thing that I really think is needed and I resonated with Julie, Kelly, and Melissa is the need to share, you know, the long-term side effects that truly do happen. We're very fortunate at the point that we're having a lot of survivorship now, but we're not necessarily having outcomes that necessarily allow the individual to live a full life or have limitations with things. And I think that's something that we haven't always told the whole story to. Um, so I think we're realizing now that we're able to focus on these long-term things, which we're very fortunate we're able to focus on these long-term things that you're not just surviving, but you're thriving long-term towards the cancer shift. Can I ask, do you guys think it's more difficult um, as time goes by for like whenever you're having a scan, like saying, okay, I'm finally in a part of my life where I feel comfortable and then you get it scanned and you're like more scared. What if something happens or was it more in the beginning? For me, it's still kind of always. I mean, they did tell me that after 20 years for me, consider yourself in remission, which seems like a super long time. But even, I don't know, even just if I'm getting a scan for something that's not related to my cancer, like I had pneumonia or something, just everything I get, I still, it's just a little nugget in the back of your mind. I think I can say over time, it does get a little easier. It does not go away, but it, it does get easier. I'm not nauseous anymore when I have stuff. So I mean, it does, it gets a little easier, but it is still there. I think what Chris would say is that it is different. I think that he would still be anxious, but I think in his mind as um, a husband and a father, I think he now thinks about those what ifs because he is a husband and he's a dad now. And there's other people that um, are part of your inner circle. It's not just your parents or it's not just whoever. And I think that that's a big part. And that's kind of like the whole identity piece too, that you just kind of look outside of, oh, this is just me and somebody else is going to take care of it. Like this is me, but I need to support my family and, and be the father figure and be the husband and be the son. And I think the roles and the anxiety is there, but I think part of the anxiety is what ifs, but also what ifs. And because 
of other outcomes. And so I think that fear is different. I would agree with what both of these ladies have have said. I think how it gets easier looks to me like the first few years, if I knew I had a, a scan coming up, I might be nervous for the whole week beforehand. And now it might just be from the moment I walk into the doctor's office until I have the news. So those feelings are triggered and I can have that fear and hold that real tight. But I think the uh, anticipation and the stable times in between those blips has gotten longer and, and smoother. So in that, that way, that's what it looking easier as time goes by feels to me. Melissa, something that you said really hit with me. And I think that's kind of what I'm experiencing right now as someone moving from one stage in my life to another is at a certain point when you're a teen or young adult, you're living, I, I guess selfishly might not be the right word, but you're living selfishly for yourself. You're day by day. You don't really care what happens because it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's you that's happening. The slower you get, the more people something happening affects. And I think that's where Dan and I kind of get to a point now where I do have more stress or anxiety because I don't want this to affect anybody else once again. And I think that's sometimes hard to grasp fully, but it is kind of the reality of moving from adolescent young adult into a different stage of your life. Oh, definitely. I can, and I can say like, even watching Chris as he's gone through, I mean, we've been together now for 20, 21 years married and just how we've changed in those times. But I mean, I still see those fears, but it's, it's not like it was when we first got together. And, um, it really is, like you said, it's not an immaturity. It's that's where you are age wise. And then as you get older, it's just that changes and, you know, you just kind of change with it and it doesn't make it any diff. It makes it different, but it's, it's different in a, in a good way as well. Cause it's kind of a moving on and realizing, wait, it's not just me. It's me and the people that I care about and that, you know, I live with. Awesome. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until, Until next time. time.